everybody. Welcome to another episode of Poem Peeps. For those of you who have been listening, thank you so much. And you know that we've had a few episodes about cystic fibrosis. We had a cystic fibrosis roundtable discussion with experts in the field. We also had a case episode of an adult in her 50s who was diagnosed with CF. In these episodes, we've covered a ton. We've talked about the clinical presentation of CF, the diagnostic evaluation, and the management, including some recent novel therapies that have come out. Obviously, the most important component of all of this is caring for patients, and none of the experts who we've had on have been patients or know as much about the disease as the people who have it, the 70,000 people around the world who have cystic fibrosis. So today, we are extremely excited to launch a new type of episode. We want to spend some more time with our patients and meet people who have the pulmonary conditions that we treat every day. Thanks so much, Firf. And we couldn't be more excited today to introduce and be joined by Katie Fielding. Katie is an educator and spent 13 years teaching high school science, and she now specializes in integrating technology into the classroom to enhance education. Katie was diagnosed with CF as an infant and has spent years as a patient advocate. She works closely with the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation and is currently on the Adult Advocacy Council. Through her activities, she has supported others with CF and advocated for improved treatments as well as educational and vocational support. Katie, we couldn't be happier for you to join us today. and Welcome to the Pulm Peeps, and thanks so much for being here. Uh, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to chat. Katie, I know you're here to tell us about your experience with CF, but you're an educator, you're a self-proclaimed tech geek, and I can tell that your uh, podcasting setup dwarves either of ours, so clearly you're living up to the name. Both of these things are things that Monty and I care a lot about. Can you just tell us a little about the technology practices you're bringing to the classroom uh, and any podcasts that you've done maybe or that you listen to? Yeah. Well, first of all, I do love podcasting and I actually love bringing podcasting into the classroom and I actually built a podcast studio at my school. So we do quite a bit of podcasting with students. It's a really great way to get them to share their stories, kind of like you're having me do today. As far as like also bringing tech into the classroom, I'm really passionate about two things, which are one, bringing creativity in the classroom and letting students have and share their voice. And the second thing I'm really passionate about and present a lot about is accessibility in the classroom. Um, So like as a person with a disability, even though my disability doesn't prevent me from interacting with the internet or technology in any ways, and I don't need assistive technology, it's something I'm passionate about sharing with other teachers. That's awesome, Katie. And uh, definitely agree with Firth that your podcast setup um, is definitely surpasses ours. Um, and really great to hear the work that you're doing um, in the classroom and what you're able to bring to others through podcasts of your own. I want to turn a little bit more towards you, though. And I know you were diagnosed with CF as an infant, which is how the majority of people in the U.S. with CF are diagnosed. But Katie, how did you learn about CF as you were growing up? Yeah, it was never um, a secret or something that was not really, it was always very, um, I was always taught to advocate for myself and my parents very young. My dad's an engineer, my mom's a teacher, so our house is always really academic. Um, and my dad was in the military, so I moved a lot and I was always the new kid. So as young as second grade, I started bringing my nebulizer to school to show people and share Um, it helped that I actually had in second grade, another classmate who had CF. So you can tell that is pre six feet apart. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. Um, so I've always, you know, just shared my story, um, so that kids in my class understood why I coughed 
or why I pass gas, <laughs> which totally happened a lot. Um, and so, yeah, I've always just um, shared my story so that everyone would understand. So I've been um, knowledgeable about what CF is for a long time. That's great. That's like the most informative show and tell that probably ever happened at that school for sure. <laughs> yes. So, every school, bringing my vest, bringing my nubs, people were always entranced. That's great. <laughs> you just touched on it, but we, you know, we've been talking on this program about some of the immunomodulator therapies that we're obviously going to touch on in a little bit, but I mean, there's a ton of treatments that everyone for cystic fibrosis has and has been doing before these are out. You, you mentioned your vest, you mentioned your NEBS. So can you tell us what your day-to-day treatment was like before 2020, before immunomodulator therapies? Oh yeah. I mean, I had almost 40 years of CF before modulator or before trikafta. I was on other modulators before that. But in general, you know, hours of day of nebs and hours a day of chest percussive therapy, or um, I preferred autogenic like breathing and autogenic drainage as my uh, therapy of choice. That was always my preference. And I'm glad that I had doctors that supported that. Um, but I did have the vest for times that I was feeling sicker. It was always helpful to have. But yeah, pulmazyme as a way to thin my mucus, hypertonic saline to get the mucus out and help it come out. And, you know, every bi- antibiotic that I'm now resistant to in the world <laughs> um, uh, to treat those those infections. So. You, uh, you just mentioned it, but can you just tell people about autogenic clearance? I'm not sure that all our listeners will know what you're referring to. Yeah. So autogenic drainage is like a breathing uh, technique to, you know, different types of breaths that you can intake, as well as some cough, coughing to force the mucus out um, in a similar way that, you know, percussive therapy might cough, like pound it out of you. This is just a way to move the air through the lungs to move the mucus up and out. Yeah, that's great. I, I, Monty, I'm sure we'll have a similar experience, but when I, you know, was a resident or a fellow just starting this and I first had patients with cystic fibrosis, like, it's like, I'm not nearly as informed as you are. And so people would be asking me questions about breathing techniques like that. And I, you know, the best thing you can do is admit you don't know when you don't know and just learn from your patients and, and be able to then maybe talk to the next person informed about it. Yeah. And I mean, and the CF community does that a lot and we've been online and talking to each other for decades. And, you know, that's like the common treatment in the UK and Europe. They don't have vests. And so we kind of can share some of that information. And that's kind of how I heard about the first time, you know, maybe 20 years ago. And then I was like, okay, maybe I want to try that. And it worked for me. Thanks so much, Katie. And I think you alluded to a couple of important things. Um, You know, one... um, one of them being that, um, you, you know, you know your symptoms better than anyone. And that's kind of when I see patients in clinic, that's one of the first things I start out with, especially if someone's telling me that, you know, they feel different or they feel like they may be having an exacerbation. You know, I, I say like, you know yourself better than anyone. So if something seems off, um, you know, let's talk about that further. And another thing, I think a great point you brought up is while the, why there are general guidelines for therapies and CF, it's really an individualized decision um, with the patient and the care team to, you know, do what's best um, and what and what works best for, for each patient. So thank you for pointing those out. And I do want to go um, ask you though, Katie, did you ever have to go into the hospital, um, you know, kind of before the, the era of modulator therapy? And what kind of symptoms did you notice that made you um, have to go into the hospital if, if needed? 
Yeah. So I started going into the hospital when I was 10. That was the first time I had a what we call in the CF world a tune-up. So you go in for a couple of weeks of antibiotic IV therapy, uh, again, to fight those lung infections that we have. Um, so starting about age 10, I went in once a year for my yearly tune-up pretty much um, until I was kind of in college and then I needed them more frequently. Um, you know, people go to college, we have fun, and usually our health tends to slide. It's kind of a overall, like everyone in the CF world, we talk about how college was like our downfall. <laughs> yeah. We just wanted to Probably be normal does. and do all the things. And, you know, you got to learn your body. And I think, um, you know, as we then move into adulthood, we did that, do that little bit better. Um, and so for me, when I know I have an exacerbation coming, it's, a lot of increased cough for me, a lot more production for me, and I can taste it like mm -hmm. even more. Like I, you know, Pseudomonas has a very distinct smell people talk about, and it also has a distinct taste. So I can actually taste when like I have more of it um, going on. So yeah, those would be the things and also increased fatigue for me. Got it. I, I don't think I've, I've heard necessarily that the the tasting part. So I'm sure others share that experience with you. And I can imagine though, Katie, going in um, to the hospital and requiring, you know, prolonged stay can be kind of scary, especially, you know, starting at the age of 10. But what are some things that you kind of found yourself doing to, to deal with having to be in the hospital um, so many times throughout your life? How did you adapt with that? Yeah, I think um, for me, when I was younger, things that I did were, you know, bringing things from home that were comforting and I've always been very anti-hospital um, gown or hospital clothes, so I always bring my own, like, relaxing clothes. Um, that was always, always something that helped me. And then as I moved further into adulthood, um, and even as a teenager, I, those tune-ups became less in the hospital, and I was able to do more at home, which has been really a great um, thing, especially once you get a job. <laughs> um, to not have to be out of work that long is great. So maybe going into the hospital to start the tune-up for a few days um, and then getting to go home and do the rest of it um, has been very, very uh, a great part of um, being able to do my care at home has been nice. Yeah, but I haven't had a tune-up in like five years now. So. Oh, that's amazing. We're yeah. going to get there. I want to hear about how you've been feeling better with it. I, I, I'm curious, do you think the tune-ups at home happened because – you had more ability to sort of recognize your symptoms and care for them at home, or did the technology and the services sort of grow around you as, as you sort of got older with CF? I mean, even as probably 12, 13, we were able to do them at home. And I remember my dad, my dad, you know, being a scientist, uh, breaking the glass vials because that was when we still had glass vials to break. My dad had mm -hmm. to like use a syringe to repair the antibiotic before the IV. So um, yeah, we were still able to do them at home, but now when I do them at home, like the home healthcare company just brings the IV balls, drops them off and it's like very seamless. Um, so yeah, I think it's a combo of, you know, I think my doctors always felt I was very mature when I was younger and that I could handle it. Um, and that I had parents at home that could support that and not everyone's fortunate enough to have that. Um, so I've been very lucky in that way. 
So thankfully, over the past couple of decades, as we've been alluding to, there's been lots of advances in CF treatments. And a lot of that is due to patient advocates, sort of like yourself, uh, you know, motivating the scientific community to move along. Uh, and all of this requires large coordinated research studies, you know, that involve incorporating patients and getting everybody involved. And a lot of these research studies, especially in cystic fibrosis, have been partially run through patient organizations like the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. So curious, have you, were you ever involved in a research study? And if so, you know, how did your providers approach this? What did you think about being involved? What did it feel like to have a doctor or researchers who were not really on your care team, but that were still involved with the medicines you were taking? Yeah, I've always been involved with research when I was um, like a preteen, teenager. I did some. And then when I was in college, I loved doing it because as a college student, the money that I would make <laughs> It felt like amazing. It was a, an extra job. Um, and I remember in college, I did this one study and nothing came of it, but it was a interferon study. And I had to breathe in interferon for months. Um, it's not used. I don't think they knew about, but that was a very well-paying study. And as a college student, that felt great. Um, but now actually um, I do, I've done two studies this past year. Um, and as a person who has benefited from modulators, um, my real impetus lately in participating is to get more solutions that affect everyone with CF because modulators are not available to everyone with CF, but everyone with CF um, is affected by some of the same things like antibiotic resistance. So this past year, I participated in a FOG study, um, which would have even implications beyond CF. Um, and so that was really exciting to contribute to things that will help my community. Yeah. Yeah. And for everybody listening, if you know, you're not sure what Katie's talking about with the people who are not eligible, we touched on this a lot on the round table, but about 10% of the people cystic fibrosis in the U S right now are not eligible based on the mutations. And so still a lot of work to do for that segment of the population. And I'll add that a lot of those people are minority groups. Yeah. Um, so it's um, that's something I'm, passionate about sharing, um, because as I am a white woman, um, there are a lot of people in the community that are minorities and their mutations are more rare and they don't always benefit from the modularity therapies that we have. So. Yeah. Thank you for pointing that out. Appreciate it. Yeah. I definitely think that there, there has been so much work done by the CF foundation and, you know, from people like you, Katie, that are helping, but there's definitely a lot more work um, that needs to be done in certain areas. So yeah, definitely appreciate you highlighting that. And, and because Katie, because of, of people like you, um, you know, CFTR modulators, um, have been approved and we've talked about that as well, um, with really some outstanding and revolutionizing results. And from your perspective, when these modulators were approaching the market, what did you know about them and what was the feeling, um, that you were gathering from the CF community? Yeah, I, I feel the feeling was hope. Um, a lot of hope, um, but also um, not fear at all, but just apprehension. Because I think with hope, there's the other side of that. Okay, what if it doesn't work for me? Um, and and there are plenty of people. I mean, I have several friends who who, who it didn't work for, even though their mutations. Um, you know, it's good for their mutations. You know, it, they've had some side effects that have just not been tolerable. 
Um, so, you know, even for them, we still need to work on other options. And there are other modulators in the pipeline that hopefully will have less side effects for those people. So I think hope was the overwhelming feeling in the community. Um, also, I think a little bit of apprehension about like how it would divide the community into those who can have them and those who don't. Um, and yeah, I think that was a feeling and a fear. And I think hopefully we've come together still to, to make everyone feel um, validated and that we're still working on things for everyone. Um, but what did I know? I mean, I knew everything that I could read. <laughs> I'm a chronic research, like, um, not like a researcher, <laughs> like I'm not doing technical research, but I'm reading a lot to make myself knowledgeable about topics. So um, yeah, just reading all that I could. And I think I want to echo too. I mean, I, I remember, you know, as a, as a CF provider, um, I was at the NACFC or the North American Cystic Fibrosis Conference in 2019 when the FDA approved um, the modulator Trikafta or Alexacafter, Tezacafter, Ivacafter, um, you know, and the whole, the whole CF community, um, you know, from, from patients to, to researchers, to providers, we're finding out at the same time. So I definitely agree. I mean, the conference feeling, um, I mean, they're always wonderful conferences and a lot of excitement, excitement, um, but there was some hope and apprehension, um, exactly as you said, Katie. Yeah, so I feel like we've been kind of dancing around it. I'm just so curious about when you started Trikafta, again, Alexacaptor, Tezacaptor, Ivacaptor. Uh, what did you notice? What were the changes in your symptoms? How long did it take? And and then if you did have any side effects, you mentioned some side effects that people you know have had. What were those and what were the things you were watching out for? Yeah, sure. Um, so I had been on Orcambi and Semdeco, two previous generations of modulators before starting on Trikafta. And with those, I received great stabilization. Um, then on December 20th, 2019, I remember the date. It's, you know, it's like a, a new anniversary in your life, right? <laughs> um, I took my first uh, Trikafta pill and four hours later, uh, the purge started and I just coughed a lot of mucus up for the next 24 hours. And maybe coughed a little more for the next couple days. And I haven't really coughed since. Some so it's, <laughs> it's as much of a miracle as I think um, I'll ever experience in my life. Um, I've had a great benefit from it. Uh, my FEV1 has increased um, over 20%. Hmm. Um, so I was in the... 50% before and yeah, actually almost 30%. So, um, it's been amazing. Um, I sleep through the night, uh, which is something you can't take for granted. If you've ever had, uh, years apparently where you're just not sleeping well and you didn't even realize it. Um, I no longer have CF related arthritis, which I experienced quite a bit for probably the seven years before Trikafta. And my Blood sugars have stabilized. I was in an indeterminate glucose intolerance range, so not CF diabetes yet. But um, yeah, they're completely stabilized and fine now. So yeah, amazing results. I have <laughs> benefited extremely from it. Um, my symptoms are are gone. Um, yeah. <laughs> and have you needed any antibiotic courses or treatments since you started? Nothing. <laughs> I've actually removed 
almost all of my nebulized medications with with my team. <laughs> I just didn't yeah. go do that. So it's important <laughs> right. to know, like you have to, you know, work through that with your team. And we did things like incrementally, like removing things from my regimen. Um, bad side effects. Um, I've had some stomach issues at the beginning. Um, and as far as other friends that have had some side effects, I've had friends with some mental health side effects from it. Um, so that was hard for some people. I know some people got like a brain fog. Um, but I've been really fortunate to not have any side effects that have needed me to stop using it. Yeah, thanks so much, Katie. I love the um, the anniversary um, of of the fir- your first Tricafta dose. I think that's amazing. We're gonna have to start asking that, um, you know, in clinic now. Yeah, and the and purge. It- I, I, I'm sure that's a thing that you people with CF talk about when they're starting it. But I hadn't heard that before, where you just sort of clear everything out. It was it was amazing. I my friend was with me. He had like take took the day off to like hang out with me that day. And just, you know, because we didn't know if there would be any side effects or what. And yeah, he was just like. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And my partner, he, um, he always called my breathing at night, uh, like snap, crackle, pop. And now he's like, I don't know if you're alive at night. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I have to like be really quiet and make sure you're, you're still alive. (laughs) That's great. Yeah, that's great. Um, so since December 2019, Katie, how have has your personal and kind of overall health planning changed? Yeah, it's done a 180. So to, people with CF are a bit morbid, so here's a little bit darkness. Um, before Trichafta, my retirement plan was to die. Um, so I, you know, this is my 18th year in education. Um, and when I started or can be, I started planning for retirement. So, but that was still like 13 years into working. So I have had some catch up to do. Um, so yeah, um, planning for retirement has been a big change. Um, but also because of my really good health with Trikafta, I've been really able to grow professionally. Um, so I don't have to spend as much time working on health as I do. Like I can spend that time, you know, those hours a day I was doing treatments, I can now spend on other endeavors um, of like professional and personal growth. So that's really been great. Yeah. So probably looking forward to things you didn't think were once possible, it seems like. 100%. Yes. (laughs) And as a follow-up question, Katie, um, I know that you shared um, the day that you got your screening mammogram when you celebrated your milestone birthday. Um, What does this represent for you? Yeah, it represents like just the possibilities that weren't possibilities before. Um, And there's a lot of things. And I hope that as we get a little bit out of the pandemic, I get to experience them more because the pandemic coincided kind of the start of my Trikafta. So it's kind of um, delayed the gratification a little bit because I'm a huge traveler and I haven't gotten to travel Mm-hmm. Um, and before Trikafta, I was having a lot of the arthritis and I've always wanted to take my niece, um, on an international trip, just me and her, but because of the arthritis, I couldn't really do that as, you know, an adult that would have to care for a child. Uh, but now I really want to do that. and I look forward to that. So just all of those things that weren't possible, or I didn't think were in my timeline, if you want to say that, that I get to experience, um, like. I'll probably get to see my nieces get married. That's super exciting. 
um, and something I wouldn't have considered. Um, and you know, maybe I'll outlive my parents. Um, so that's crazy. Like all those things that just weren't even something I considered happening now that are, are, are amazing. And I don't take any of them for granted. Yeah, I'm sure you appreciate them more than most of us. Uh, and we all should do be better about that. And yes, here's the pandemic ended and you get to enjoy all those things that you want to. <laughs> yeah. uh, so we have a lot of clinicians listening right now. Um, people are interested in pulmonary critical care and many of them are still in training. And I just you've been in and out of the medical system since you were a little kid. And so just curious if you can share some of the positive experience you've had. I'm sure you've had some good ones. I'm also sure you've had some negative ones. And what advice you would give clinicians when they're caring for really any patients, but you know, specifically those with CF of the of the best ways to interact, talk to, listen, and and learn from and care for them. Yeah, I love that we as um, a CF community call them care teams because that's really what they are. Like I'm on the team, they're on my team, and it involves some important communication, which I think with any relationship you have that like rocky getting to know each other stage. And sometimes that always like doesn't go smoothly. Um most of the experiences that I've had that have been negative with clinicians are people that just aren't knowledgeable about CF. So most of my bad experiences have been outside of my CF world. For instance, like my very first <laughs> pap smear when I was 20 and a virgin, um, I was told that I had gonorrhea. And I was like, no, I'm pretty sure that this is CF mucus <laughs> and something, you know. Yeah. And she was like, no. And I was like, okay. And I'm obviously crying. I'm like, there's no way. And she called me, you know, with the results. I'm really surprised to tell you. And I was like, I'm not surprised to hear this. Um, so just negative things in that way of just people not listening to me, like knowing I am not sexually active. There's really no way that this would happen. And <laughs> knowing that mucus there would be normal <laughs> as this person with CF, you know? Um, so those are like some of the negative ones. Also, you know, I have had a, like when I was a teenager, I did have a CF doctor as I was a military kid. We moved around a lot that told me my lungs were a garbage can <laughs> as a, like a teenager, this in your girl, you just don't want to hear that. Like, it was just like, I get what they were saying now as an adult, but to a teenager, it could have had more finesse. Yeah. Not the best um, analogy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say that patients and caregivers just need to like work on the communication um, and like create some shared goals, I think can be helpful. Um, like as um, a patient, I have goals for where I want my health to be and then we can discuss those. I think that's a, a helpful place to start. Great. Thank you so much, Katie. And um, do you have any any comments or any kind of tips for um, or any you want to share any positive experiences that you've had? Oh, yeah, I've had great positive experiences. Well, I really love my team where I am now. Um, I feel treated like an adult, which I have previously also as an adult gone to other clinic where um, it was more of a pediatric slant. So there's like this, this transition of being a CF person and moving from like pediatric care to adult care, which used to take longer. <laughs> and I think now it probably happens sooner for people. Um, but yeah, um, just... I think my team does a really great job, like trying to accommodate things that I want to accomplish 
or do in my day-to-day life and how we can make my, you know, even before Trikafta, make my, my regimen work with my life. And because that's really all that was going to make me compliant, which is the most important thing, right? To be like compliant regularly day to day um, as much as possible. Awesome. And I really like the the team analogy. You know, hopefully those listening today can can take that and, you know, not only for patients with CF, but for all patients in general, because um, I think that really helps. And I think that's an exciting part of, of medicine is that shared decision making. Um, and they're talking about a, a larger team, Katie. I know that you've done a lot of work with the CF Foundation, but can you tell us a little bit more about the work that you've done and the impact the organization has had on you? Yeah, sure. Um, so we are fortunate, like in the CF world, to have this great foundation of support, um, the CF Foundation. Um, even as a kid, I did, you know, stair climbs and walks to support C- the CF Foundation. Um, and now I'm on the Adult Advocacy Council. I'm also my congressional district's advocacy uh, captain, which I've been doing for a, a few years now. Um, and, and that's where I feel like my strength is, is sharing my story, sharing the story of other people with CF um, and advocating through awareness and asking for s- legislation that supports the, the community. I, I'm not a salesman and I'm not great at raising money, <laughs> but that like we can all use our strengths. Uh, I'm an educator, so educating people uh, is, is where I feel like I've done uh, my strength of work. And the, the organization has, I think, had a great impact on me because they've funded so much of the research that has um, made these medicines and advancements we've had in the CF community. I mean, they you know, did their venture philanthropy and funded Vertex, who developed the modulators, and that was so uh, unique at the time, and it's paid off, and the community is benefiting from that. Um, so hopefully the community will continue to benefit. Um, they're doing so many things um, as far as like lung transplant uh, research and improvement in the care of that. And also the upcoming um, genetic therapies that are going to be on the horizon. And so, you know, I really hope that uh, people really consider participating in those trials that will be in the coming years. You know, it, it may sound scary to be part of like genetic therapy, but uh, we really need like a good, diverse group of people who want to participate in that research to make it meaningful. Katie, I got to tell you, you make me feel pretty lazy. You're talking about all the stuff that you've been doing over the years. It's, it's pretty amazing. Uh, and I know uh, it's definitely helped uh, the whole community. So this has been an awesome talk. I, you know, you kind of touched on this just now, but to wrap up, just wanted to see if there are any additional hopes for sort of the future of CF care. You mentioned genetic therapy. You mentioned the group of people who are unfortunately not eligible for the current modulators. But what hopes do you have for the future of CF care going forward? Yeah, I, I hope that it becomes accessible to everyone in the world. That's something that's really hard for me as a person um, benefiting from Trikafta to see people in other countries that don't have access and it's there <laughs> and they can't touch it yet. Um, so I would hope that things become more accessible um, it, to, to all the people that it could benefit. And also just that um, the benefits uh, expand and people with other mutations also get their chance to experience what I've had with Trikafta. Um, so those would be those would be my big hopes. 
That sounds great, Katie. And I think a lot of a lot of hope for the future, hopefully, and you know, some some other studies um, that may result in in twenty twenty two. And as as Firf mentioned, we really um, appreciate you sharing with us today, and you know, sharing some vulnerable moments that you had growing up. And thank you just for for coming on and being our first um, guest in our patient series. Um, we appreciate you, and actually, I am really excited to see what else you do um, for the CF community um, in the future years. And thank you again so much for coming on today. Thank you for so much for having me. This has been really nice. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks, everybody. I thank um, huge thanks to Katie Fielding. You can follow her on Twitter. She has a website as well, katiefielding.com. We can also follow us on Twitter at, at Poem Peeps. Uh, this episode was uh, recorded and edited by myself and Christina Montemayor, and the music is original music by Eric Rogers. Tune in in two weeks, and, and we'll see you then. Mm-hmm.